Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. Hope you're well. It's been another interesting, drama-free, crisis-free, hysteria-free week from an Arsal point of view. With added hilarity from elsewhere, a decent FA Cup draw, and a signing. A brand new player. For all of us to consider the best player in the world that none of us have ever heard of until such time as we see him play a few games and then decide that he's completely shit. What more can you ask for? Seriously. At this time of year as well. It's normally a bit more mayhemy and stuff. So uh, I, I'm on board with what's going on at this moment in time. On this week's show, we'll take a look at the new boy, Gabriel Paulista, or Gabriel, as he's known. Not Gabrielle, because that sounds a little bit feminine. Gabriel, Gabrielle. Gabriel, Gabrielle. Sort of like Smurf and Smurfette. Sort of. But not really. But you know what I'm talking about. So Gabriel, without the Paulista bit, because we don't need to distinguish him from all the other Gabriels from Sao Paulo... He's the only one that we have, so he's just going to be plain old Gabriel. He's arrived from Villarreal, so we'll speak to somebody very much in tune with Spanish football to get uh, his thoughts on what kind of a player Arsenal are getting. And also, Joel Campbell, his move, because he signed a new deal before he went to Villarreal on loan. And what's he going to be doing there? Where will he play? So we'll get a bit of insight into that. We'll also be looking ahead to the game against Aston Villa, of course, on Sunday. And other stuff, I'm sure, between now and the end of the show. So, I mean, since last we spoke, obviously we, we were here on Monday with the Arscast Extra, but we beat Brighton in the FA Cup, and the draw for the next round of the FA Cup was made, and we will be facing Middlesbrough. Wow, there you go. And uh, they were the team, obviously, that beat Manchester City. And rightly, too, I think they uh, they took the FA Cup seriously. They didn't go away on holidays in the build-up to the game, swatting off to play a sponsor-led friendly against some team or other. I don't even know who Man City played during the week, but you would have to say their preparation for that game was not ideal. They didn't take it seriously at all. And while you might say they've got their eyes on a bigger prize like the uh, the Premier League, you would. Uh, I still think it's a bit surprising the way they just tossed that game off, as if they thought they could just roll over Middlesbrough. And I, I enjoyed seeing that happen because, well, I like when hubris and arrogance are taken down a peg or two. So we'll play Borough, and we won't take them for granted at all. 
We've had our run-ins with them in the past, certainly in the cup competitions, not least in the Invincible season when we played them in the Capital One Cup. No, it was the Carling Cup back then, or the Milk Cup, or the Rumbelows Cup, or the Little Yeah, one of them. Um, and we also played them in the FA Cup. We won in the FA Cup and lost over two legs in the Carling Capital Rumbelows Littlewood Milk Cup. So we did. But I think that's the last time we played them in cup competition. And the last time we played them in the league was in 2008, 2009, perhaps. And I remember being at that game and they they just didn't care on the day. They knew there was no way they were going to get a result and just didn't bother. It was one of the weirdest displays I, I think I've ever seen in person. So that's that. That's the FA Cup. And because of what happened last weekend in the FA Cup, you know, it's it's a competition in which we've got a, a really good chance. Some of the big clubs are gone. I know the midweek stuff, the Capital One Cup, kind of took the gloss off what happened last weekend a bit because Chelsea were able to get back on the horse and, and beat Liverpool. And, of course, all the attention then has turned to Diego Costa being a dirty, stampy stamper uh, and all that. And that's kind of... A shame because it would have been nice if Chelsea had to deal with the fact that they lost to Bradford for the entire rest of the week. And then, of course, Tottenham beat Sheffield United. And I got an email today, which is yesterday when you're listening to this, but from a from a newspaper asking me to write a blog post from an Arsenal fan point of view about who I would rather win the Capital One Cup final, Chelsea or Tottenham. What a thing to ask. Even if I did take up the assignment, I am quite sure that they wouldn't have published what I'd written. Quite simply because I don't think it's right for any national newspaper to give a platform to the kind of views that I would espouse if I were to write something like that. That would involve maiming, catastrophic injury on both sides, loss of life, cannibalism, Possibly some stump-fucking ghoulish behavior from fans and players alike. And ultimately, crucifixion. I don't think that any respectable newspaper should publish that. So that's why I turned it down, really. And the other reason, of course, is that I do not give a fuck one way or the other which one of them wins it. Who cares? The idea that you have to pick one over the other, that you have to have a preference, is no. You, d- you don't have to have a preference. It's the classic choice between the bowl of hot puke or the shit sandwich. No, I won't have either. I will go hungry. Thank you very much indeed. So I, I turned that down. The only thing I will say is that the website in question had nothing whatsoever to do with Glenn Hoddle. So that's really an improvement on the week before. But the subject matter, not for me. And I think we should right now just take another moment to stop and laugh at the fact that Chelsea got beaten at home by Bradford, having been 2-0 up. Finished? No, that that guy over there is that. He's oh, he's not finished either. Yeah, I think I think we're done now. Right then, let's get on with the show. And as I said, we're going to touch on the new boy Gabriel and his arrival from Villarreal this week for about £11.5 million. With me to discuss it is a man who writes about Spanish football for ESPN, the Irish Examiner. He broadcasts on News Talk as well. It's Dermot Corrigan. Hi there. Hey, Andrew. How's it going? Good, thank you. Um, Arsenal on Wednesday evening officially announced the signing of Gabriel Paulista from Villarreal. Brazilian defender, 24 years of age, and that's kind of as much as anybody really knows about him. What, what kind of player are Arsenal getting? 
I think Arsenal are a really good player. He's a guy who's really shot to prominence over the last 18 months. Like, Villarreal signed him pretty much from nowhere from Brazilian football for about three million, and took him a little while to settle into the team. But once he got in, he's done really, really well. He, he's technically good player. He's tall. He's strong. He's fast. He doesn't particularly stand out in a kind of David Luiz style uh, as a, a Brazilian defender. So he's good at good basics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, he, he's good at basics. You know, they're a very well-organized team, Villarreal. They play nice football, but they also don't concede many goals. And he's played a big part in them doing well so far this season. So I think he, he's not a high-profile guy, but I think he's a really good signing and he should do well for Arsenal. So somebody perhaps who, who isn't quite yet the finished article, but the, the raw ingredients are, are there. He seems to be a versatile player as well because I've seen some videos where he's been playing at left back also yeah he came into the team and he played a little bit at left back last year and earlier on this season and he's right footed so it Mm. it shows that he's good you know positionally technically I think he's a clever player Um, he knows his way around the pitch and he's a good defender I saw him against Atletico Madrid before Christmas and he was up against um, Mandzukic Mm. who's a real handful you know big strong centre forward Uh, and Gabriel was able to handle him Villarreal kept a clean sheet uh, at the Calderon the first team to win there all season Uh, and that was really impressive performance the only time I've seen him live so he's a guy who's He's kind of coming onto everybody's radar over the last six months or so, and maybe Arsenal have got their head of some of the bigger teams. Mm. Is one of the challenges that he's going to have to face in England, in particular, the, the physical side of the game there? I think perhaps sometimes it's overplayed as if the game on the continent isn't at all physical, and, and that's not the case. But certainly in England, there's you've got centre forwards who will put themselves about a bit, as we saw this week. There's uh, guys putting their yeah. feet in all over the place, perhaps where they shouldn't be. Uh, and it has been an issue for some players to get used to not so much the physical aspect of the game, but what and what isn't given by referees, because that's probably where the primary difference is on the continent, and in Spain in particular, I think. Yeah, I don't think he's going to have a huge problem with that. You never know, I guess, when people go, especially he's going to be moving out of his comfort zone a little bit, and it did take him a little while to, to settle in at Villarreal. I would say he's only been booked four times for Villarreal. He's, he's a type of guy who, um, or, or so far this season, he, he's not a guy who goes flying into things he's more of a kind of covering type of defender who, who might suit Arsenal I guess maybe more like Koscielny that, than Mertesacker is mm. the guy who, who mops up behind you know he's fast but, but he doesn't throw himself into tackles he maybe waits for the, the attacker to make a mistake so yeah you know it is going to be a step up for him and there's no denying that especially in bigger games in the Premier League for Arsenal when the pressure comes on but he has a he's a good head on his shoulders as well you know he talked about it last week um, saw him speaking about you know him wanting to go to Arsenal uh, and feeling the time was right for a move which some players when they, they get the chance they, they talk and they maybe talk a little bit out of turn but he, he was pretty even handed with his comments he said you know I really like Villarreal but it's a big opportunity for me and it went down well with the, the club he, his coach kind of wished him well before he left mm. and he got a sending off from the fans at El Madrigal at the weekend so he handled it well for a young guy he seems to to, to be mature and to, to be able to handle these type of things so again that should stand in his favour mm. that, that was interesting actually because that, that story broke last week and then he was selected for for one of the games I think they played in midweek you know and, and often when it gets to that point where a transfer is near the player might kick up a little bit and decide not to, to risk it but he's obviously left on good terms and, and that's uh, that's a good thing from a technical point of view I saw a couple of people talking this week and I'm not sure um, what the uh, the quality of the particular pundits was I think one of them was Naeem so I don't really want to <laughs> don't want to touch on him fucker. Um, but they were sort of suggesting that maybe um, from a technical point of view a passing the ball out from the back point of view he might 
take a little while to adapt to to Arsenal's game. But I've always thought the Villarreal were, were quite uh, a technical team, a short passing team, and that from that point of view, it might be easier for him to settle into a, a team like Arsenal than than any other. Yeah, I think he'd be okay. As I said, he, he's not a, a flamboyant type of a guy on the ball. He does the simple things well, uh, and that's what he's been been mas- basically doing for Villarreal, uh, for what I've seen him of anyway. But but I think Villarreal play a pretty similar style of football. They do play maybe a high line. They squeeze up. They, they try and um, and play the game in the opposition half. Uh, and he's involved in, in those type of just building possessions, those triangles maybe with, with Bruno and the guys in in centre midfield for Villarreal, which he seems to have had no problems with that. Again, you know, Villarreal, they do play lovely football, actually. They're, they hold on to the ball. And if you weren't technically good, you wouldn't really be in the team. So, I, I you know, I bow to Naeem's uh, abilities or his, his judgment on this. But but I, I don't think there's going to be a huge problem there. All right. Um, the other deal that went through this week between Arsenal and Villarreal was Joel Campbell, who signed a new deal at Arsenal before he left on loan, but has gone there until the end of the season. He struggled to to break into the Arsenal first team, and I think that's understandable given the players that he's had ahead of him, but perhaps a show of faith that he was given a new deal. Uh, the cynical might say that that's to ensure that Arsenal get the right price for him when they do decide to sell him, but this is kind of an opportunity for him to play regular football, and not the first time that he's been to La Liga on loan. No, I just he, he when he was at Betis a couple of years ago, he did really, really well. Um, I used to live in Seville, a bit of a, a soft spot for Betis, and I saw a lot of him. And he was a really good player for Betis when they got into the, the Europa League. They had a really good season, uh, and he was pacey, fast, caused a lot of problems for, for defences in La Liga. So everybody remembers him really well around here. And there were other teams in for him. I'd say Real Sociedad probably would have taken him as well. Mm. But Real got in because of the, the Gabriel deal. Villarreal are doing really well at the minute. They're on, I think it's 17 games um, unbeaten. They're, they're playing in three competitions as well. They're in the Copa del Rey uh, quarterfinal, second leg tomorrow night. They're in the, the Europa League and they're doing well in La Liga as well. So they have lots of games to play. And they have a lot of nice um, playmaker type guys who, who float around and play short passes, but they don't particularly have somebody with, with Campbell's directness and pace. So I think he'll play a lot of games, maybe off the bench, to start off with but but I can see him getting a good bit of playing time especially considering they've got so many uh, fixtures coming up where exactly do you see him fitting into the team because when he was played at Arsenal it was in a in a wide position and I think Arsene Wenger was because of perhaps the way that Arsenal play was reluctant to play him as a centre forward because he maybe fell between the two stools not quite a a false nine in the way that Alexis could fill that role but neither was he a strong target man in the way that Giroud can play or or even Danny Welbeck because they've got that size and and physique so is he likely to be a player in a wide role do they play with with two forwards and what's the competition that he's got in the squad to to cement a place they play um they play either one or two center forwards um they, they kind of rotate a lot they have different guys who come in uh, Vieto is a young Argentinian guy who scored a lot of goals for them this season he, he's doing really well and he's pretty much their first choice and then they have other guys Gio Dos Santos is there as well who who can play that more mm. kind of a, a roving type of a role up front uh, and Dennis Cheryshev who's on loan from Madrid has done brilliantly for them he's been the real uh, as well as Vieto he's been a real surprise I, I think the space is maybe to play on the right wing um, that the Campbell might get a run in the team Maybe himself and Bieto up front, I wouldn't really see as a, a great partnership, although you, you never know. But I, I could see him maybe as more of a, a guy to, to stretch the play wide for them, maybe to cut in from the right-hand side in, in their shape. Right, well, we'll see how he goes. Good luck to him, Dermot. Thanks very much indeed. 
Cheers, Andrew. Enjoyed it. Talk to you soon. Thank you very much indeed to Dermot. If you're into Spanish football, make sure you give him a follow on Twitter for all the latest news and information and stuff that's going on in sunny, sunny Spain and not snowy, snowy Ireland. It's snowing here tonight, which is, eh, you know, apart from the annoyingness of snow... It ruined my phone. My phone got totally soaking wet in my pocket while out with the dog. And now it doesn't turn on. So I have it in a in a Tupperware thing full of rice. So at the very least, if it doesn't come back on, I can have some phone-flavored rice. There's no upside to that at all, is there? Really? Anyway, as I was saying, follow Dermot on Twitter, at Dermot M. Corrigan. Now, we don't have just one guest for you this week. We've got two. And with me to talk about Gabrielle and all the other bits and pieces that have gone on or will go on or are vaguely related to things that are going on, it's Tim Stillman. Hi there. Good evening. Tim, um, I suppose there's only one place to start. We know you're fond of a Brazilian, so what do you make of the new guy? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, well, that was a shock signing that came out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't pretend I know an awful lot about him as a player. I saw him play probably not above twice in Brazil, and I'm sure at least one of those occasions was at left-back. Um, what I can say about um, Gabriel, other than his actual name, um, <laughs> um, but th- this, is, this is a very interesting signing because it, it really has a lot of the hallmarks of Lauren Koscielny, I think. You know, this guy, he signed for Villarreal in August 2013, so that means less than 18 months ago he was playing for Vitoria in Brasil, and Vitoria, you know, the Brasileiro is not a league close to the quality of the Premier League and La Liga, and Vitoria are are a very small team in it, Um, probably the kind of equivalent of Sunderland stature-wise, so this is like two rapid promotions kind of on top of each other. Um, Villarreal certainly did their homework in recruiting him because this guy doesn't have a big profile in Brazil. Um, and his his departure to Villarreal was not really covered that much. It was the same time that Neymar went to Barca, that Bernard went to Shakhtar, uh, that Paulinho went to Spurs. So he's kind of flown under the radar a little bit. Um, and I know Villarreal were newly promoted when they signed him, but nevertheless, it was a, a definitely a step up. All of a sudden, he's defending against guys like Messi and Neymar and Ronaldo. Um, I can only assume he's done very, very well. Um, if clubs like Arsenal are now interested in him, um, and certainly everything I hear from people who watch Spanish football um, seem to be, you know, very impressed with his progression. Yeah. So this is this has been a very rapid progression for him. Yeah. Um, I I think you know we should be patient, certainly until the beginning of next season, because you know this is. This is like, you know, if you can imagine in your job, just getting two big promotions back to back. Um, And I'm sure there'll be a kind of an adaption period. Um, But, you know, it it bodes well for us us that he adapted so quickly um, to La Liga. Um, And it it looks like a really nice kind of profile signing, I think, in, in terms of there's still something to work with there. And I think the player and the manager... Um, have been quite candid about that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think it's a really nice time for him to be joining us, actually, because we're playing quite well um, at the moment, and obviously that can change quite quickly. Um, at the moment, and obviously this can change very quickly, both centre-halves are still fit, so hopefully he can, you know, be eased in quite nicely 
it's very unlikely he'll go to Copper America with Brazil this summer. So mm. he'll he'll kind of have a nice little adaption period, and then he'll have you know a full preseason hopefully. Um, and you know, I think next season we'll we'll hopefully start to see really see the the kind of the best of this player. But yeah. um, he's kind of adapted. He's he's come up very quickly and very quietly. Um, but things are going to change for him now because you know he doesn't have a big profile in Brazil. But Vitoria fans liked him. He didn't have a massive profile in Spain. But VRL fans and the club certainly seemed very fond of him with the way they said goodbye to him. Um, but now he's at Arsenal, and you know, in probably in the next two weeks, everybody is going to have a very definite opinion of whether <laughs> this guy is any good or not, this and that's is, going to be very different for him. Yeah, true. I mean, one one of the things I think that he's brought in for is to ensure that Lauren Koscielny stays fit until the end of the season, because we do know he's got that that ongoing Achilles issue. But but also in terms of the just the age profile of the signing. Not that Mertesacker and Koscielny are old by any stretch of the imagination, but they're both, I think Mertesacker's 30 now, is he? And, mm-hmm. and Koscielny's 29. He's going to be hitting 30. You know, they're in that uh, part of their career where they're heading towards the, the point where you have to think long-term about how do you how do you cope when these guys aren't going to be around? Uh, and I think with uh, with this guy coming in at age 24, with perhaps Callum Chambers now with less pressure on him um, yep. to, to allow him to develop a little bit more slowly and without the... Without the pressure that's on him, uh, having to having to be thrown in at the deep end as he was very often this season, um, it, it it looks as if this is a, a, a very long term purchase made perhaps a, a few months too late, but one that's still very welcome. Yes, definitely, and and you know, ideally, what will happen is that um, you know Callum Chambers and uh, Gabriel Paulista will will become our you know our kind of new centre half partnership um, at some point down the line. I think you know the player and the manager of uh, Gabriel and Arsene Wenger have both suggested that he needs a little bit of work um, to come up to the kind of the expectations of the Premier League. Um, but yes, absolutely, definitely, and you know, it, it, again, it, it you know, it it reminds me of the Koscielny signing in terms of his age and his profile but it also kind of reminds me of um, the Mertesacker signing as well in that not many people were complaining about the Vermaelen Koscielny partnership mm. um, at the time they were together um, people seemed to be reasonably happy with that and then we we, we definitely needed reinforcement but then we bought Per Mertesacker and you start to think oh this guy's an established German international um, he's going to kind of really challenge for first team football and is he going to break this partnership up um, and he did um, eventually. And what happened, I think, was that Arsenal got better as a result, mm. and Vermaelen had to fall by the wayside because he couldn't quite come up to that level. Yeah. And and you know maybe Gabriel, you know, who, who can say maybe he'll end up doing that. Maybe he'll end up forcing his way in. Um, and one of Mertesacker or Koscielny might might be looking in from the sidelines, um, and we might get an even better partnership. Yeah than the one we've got which is which I think is pretty good I think most people again are quite happy with it yeah that's an interesting point and I think that's the the kind of environment that, that you need to create and I think we're seeing that perhaps in many areas of the pitch as well I mean I think at the start of the season people said Kieran Gibbs is the established number one left back now 
you, there's a real choice to be made. Personally, I keep Monreal in the team the way he's been playing at the moment. We've got Bellerin and Chambers in the absence of Debushi competing for the right-back position. Two mm. young players are, are really going to go for it. We know there's a heap of competition further forward in midfield. Not not so much that it's competition, but Francis Coquelin has come in. And it just strikes me that what we've done in January is get rid of players who weren't going to really contribute an awful lot this season. Uh, Yaya Sonogo, for uh, various reasons, gone off uh, in a sort of developmental loan. Uh, Joel Campbell, maybe sort of last chance saloon for him mm-hmm. at Villarreal, even though he signed a new contract. I think we know that Arsene Wenger has an issue with, with Lucas Podolski. He doesn't really see a way of getting him into the team. And the, the, the squad, even though I don't think it's it's complete yet, I don't think anybody mm-hmm. would say that, it just feels better balanced, as if it's it's the makeup of it in general just feels better and more conducive to uh, being able to cope with the very... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Various fixtures and, and competitions that we're still involved in. Definitely. And I, I, I really think that, um, I, you know, I know this season hasn't been kind of perfect to this point, but I really think what you're seeing is that the levels coming up at Arsenal, um, and you look certainly further forward, Lucas Podolski was absolute first choice when he signed. And that was only just over two years ago. This time, two years ago, Lucas Podolski was absolute first 11 um, kind of material you look now if, with everybody fit let's say he's not on loan he probably doesn't even get on the bench um, and I think that's you know that's a symptom of and, and I think that you know Arsenal have entered this kind of new era which for, for which the benchmark was really the Ozil signing um, and so we've started to kind of get into the market for a slightly different level of player. Mm. And I, I think we might see this for the next kind of year or two. I think we might see some players begin to get squeezed out in the way that someone like Lucas Podolski has. Um, I've, I've speculated it on, on the blog um, before, largely because of his contract situation. I, I think Theo Walcott um, might go this summer. Um, and I don't necessarily think it will be you know, in the same manner that a lot of the, the Arsenal have lost a lot of big players, I think it might even be not quite our choice, but we might be okay with it because the level has come up so high and we've now got so many options and a nice variety of options as well that, you know, for, for someone like Theo, 
um, you know, I really don't want to do him down because he's obviously a, a really big goal threat. Um, and, you know, we all know about his pace and what it does to defences. But, you know, I'm starting to wonder if, if he takes his all-round game seriously enough. And actually now at Arsenal, we've, what we've got is we've got a lot of attackers who've got a very good all-round game. Mm. Um, and, you know, Lucas Podolski fell by the wayside because for want of a better explanation, he didn't really do anything other than score goals. Um, and actually, Theo's fairly similar. I think he offers a bit more than Podolsky, but he's fairly similar in that respect mm. in that he's very goal-driven um, in, in a literal term. And, and, and actually, that might not be enough um, at, at Arsenal anymore if, yeah. we, if we have this nicely rounded attack. It's, it's I, interesting, though, sorry to cut across you, in, in yeah. the sense that the, the context or the timing of things is interesting because the last time Theo Walcott negotiated a contract with Arsenal. It was very, very difficult yep. uh, for the club because they were in a position where they lost Fabregas, they lost Van Persie. They couldn't, even if they really wanted to let Theo Walcott go, they couldn't do it just because it, the message it sent. And yep. I think he knew that and his people knew that and they knew that they had a very, very strong bargaining position at Arsenal and they made the most of that and fair enough that's the way the, the business works and uh, he's not stupid and neither are the people around him but now the the the, the skills that he has um, and the particular one in, in terms of pace he's not unique anymore he was mm. essentially unique in that regard that he was the only one who provided Arsenal with pace he's not in such a strong position to to negotiate the kind of top money deal that he might like, particularly as he's just on his way back from an injury. Much will depend, I think, on what happens between now and, and May, whether or not he can really find yeah. his, his form. But I think you're right. It is an interesting one, all right? Definitely. And I, I, I think it's a, a big kind of five or six months for um, or certainly till the end of the season. I think it's a big time for him. And I, I think, you know, again, I, I'm not inside the guy his head so perhaps I'm doing him a, dis, a, a disservice but I, I kind of get the impression that for him he thinks almost like an old-fashioned striker in that if I score I've done my job and I've had a good game um, and you know obviously scoring goals is is brilliant it's, it's it's an excellent weapon to have and goal scorers go for a lot of money for that that reason it's the aim of the game but you know whether he he really focuses on the other parts of his game and listen no one's ever going to expect him to become Santi Cazorla or Mesut Ozil or, or really want him to because we don't we have enough players like that we don't really need that um, but for him I think to come up to at least a competent level in terms of his his technique um, and, and also you know his defensive work if you know he, he's certainly improved some aspects of his game in the last couple of years no doubt but I think he's improved the ones that he's really concerned about mm. whether he's improved defensively I think maybe he's even got worse um, if I'm honest because I don't think it really it really you know floats his boat um, whether his technical level's gone up um, maybe a little bit but has it gone up enough um, and so I, I think for the next few months, he's going to have to show whether he's aware of it or not. He's going to have to show that he can, you know, improve in these aspects as well, because we all know, you know, put him in a foot race with a fullback or a centre half, put him through on goal. He's probably going to score. We know that we've known that probably since he was 19 or 20 years old. But I think he really there's with, you know, guys like Alexis in there now with Chamberlain really improving 
you know, with with someone like Mesut Ozil in there now, I, I think he's he's perhaps under a little bit of pressure to show a little bit more um, mm. now. Interesting. Um, just in terms of the, the going back to the Gabriel deal and the the lack of fuss that surrounded it and it was a complicated deal obviously because of the work permit situation now I know when we go back to the summer everyone judges last summer on what we didn't do Mm. by not bringing in a defender Um, but are we seeing perhaps a more efficient arsenal in the in the transfer market generally speaking leaving aside that one issue and I know it's a it's a big one it's kind of like talking Mm. about the Titanic and not mentioning the iceberg but What we did in the early part of last summer was very encouraging and had people um, very positive and excited about what what the season might bring. Uh, When the window closed and we didn't bring in that defender, obviously uh, that's an issue. We have been prone in the past to making things a lot more complicated than they might have been. And here we are bringing in a guy who had a 20 million euro release clause we got him for less than the release clause and managed to get a work permit and all that sorted out with a minimum of fuss so maybe perhaps we're seeing things changing from from the way the club is operating in 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 the way they do deals definitely and i and i think actually that that has largely been the case for the last few players we've signed really um i didn't really get the impression that last summer the players he didn't sign I'm not sure it was so much a symptom of dithering or haggling over, you know, a, a kind of little details of a deal. I just think he didn't find anyone in uh, at centre-half and in defensive midfield that he liked. I think it was that simple. I didn't get the impression that he went for someone and didn't get them. Yeah. Um, I think it was just inactivity. Whereas you look at the signings in the summer, you know, Sanchez was done fairly you know especially a a deal like that where there was a lot of competition and interest was done you know pretty well Ospinner likewise Debushi Chambers was another one of those fairly classic nobody knew about it until it had happened um, kind of things Um, so I I think there has been a kind and even going back a little bit further than that Giroud, Podolsky, Cazorla they were all done fairly painlessly um, Ozil was slightly different, I think, and I think we all know really why that was different, and that was because Daniel Levy was, you know, was basically keeping us hanging with the Gareth Bale sale. I think if had that not been the case, that might have gone through a lot easier. So, I mean, I, th- I think that that actually, when you look at the deals we try to do, um, they are they are going through fairly quickly and fairly painlessly um, this last two years. And, you know, whether whether that's new thinking by the club or whether it's just because we have a bit more money now and we're not kind of arguing over peanuts, um, who knows, really? Um, I'd, I'd suggest that that's definitely a big factor. When you've got more money, there's, there's less to argue about. Mm. Uh, um, but, I, you know, I, th- I think if you actually take each signing in turn, even Welbeck, you know, I know Welbeck was done on deadline day, but that started on deadline day as well. We got that done basically inside 24 hours um which is no mean feat buying a striker from manchester united um in one day so actually we got that done quite quickly and quite well we didn't you know we didn't really seem to quibble over the price too much we paid it up we paid him what he wanted to be paid um and that was that was that was fairly fuss free as well even if it was done at the last minute so i i I think this has probably been happening 
for a little while, but it's just taking us as supporters because we have this, you know, historical weight of angst over these things. And let's face it, rightly so. Um, you know, it's, it's taken us a little while to adjust to the fact that actually Arsenal have been doing business quite well. The, the business we haven't done, I think, is just simply because the manager hasn't hasn't seen anything he's liked. Mm. All right, um, let's just touch on recent form. I know that the 2015 kicked off badly with the game at Southampton. But when you look at the last 10 games, it's been eight wins, one draw, one defeat, and that was the game at Southampton. Um the win against Brighton was the first time this season that we've won more than three games consecutively this season. Are we seeing signs of some genuine form and momentum now? I I think so. Yes. I I was personally, I was always reasonably confident that we'd see a good second half of the season from Arsenal. Um, Whether that's because I thought I saw signs on the pitch, which I think I did, or whether it's just, um, this kind of real familiarity with how Arsenal do things where they have, you know, half a season that is very, very good and half a season that's not. Um, and it's only the order, really, that changes. Um, I, I don't know. And because we'd had a fairly stuttering first half of the season, maybe I just kind of thought that that was just the natural order of things that Arsenal always tend to do things by halves in, in, mm. in a season. But I, I do think... I think there were some mitigating circumstances at the beginning of the season. He obviously tried to get the team to play in a slightly new way, in a slightly new shape, um, you know, with an attack that's fairly new. Not A lot of those players haven't been here um, for a little while. And then, you know, the age-old Arsenal problem of injuries doesn't help that either. Um, and so I think that's why we were a bit stop-start. I always felt reasonably confident that once a little bit of familiarity came into it. And once we got players back, I mean, listen, it's no coincidence that, you know, e- even if their role has been slightly reduced, the fact that the likes of Ozil and Walcott are back and now all of a sudden we're winning and winning, you know, fairly emphatically, I mean, that's that's not a huge coincidence. Giroud coming back as well. He's gone, um, yeah, he's gone uh, slightly under the radar, hasn't he? Indeed. In, in the sense that uh, since the... Since the injury and his return, I mean, he scored goals. He's he's played particularly well and answered some of the criticisms that were put uh, about him because of because of his inability in previous seasons to score against the biggest teams. That to me seems to be the thing that that he's addressed most of all. And um, I think maybe with Alexis doing what he's doing and doing it so brilliantly and everybody being so enthused by that and everybody loving what Coquelin's doing, Giroud is just kind of quietly playing very, very well at this moment. Indeed, indeed. And Santi Cazorla as well. You've got, you know, Thomas Rosicki's Lazarus-like comeback from of course, the dead. Yeah, yeah. And you've got the Chesney and Ospina thing going on. And you're right, it's, it's, it's come very much under the radar. And Giroud's kind of scoring record is really good. Um, whether that's just because, you know, he's had a bit of a break, which he hasn't had since he came to Arsenal. His fitness record is exceptional exceptional um and even this you know injury came back freakishly early from um but whether you know and and i tend to think this might happen for Ozil as well maybe you know a couple of months out helped him you know analyze those aspects of his game that he needed to improve maybe it's just a natural thing maybe it's it's the competition again because we bought danny welbeck and all of a sudden you know it's like oh, oh you know my my place is really up for grabs which, again, has not been the case for Giroud since he signed. 
Um, maybe it's just a mixture of all of those things. Who knows? Um, you know, but he, he's definitely, he's been a very, very impressive performer. And he's another one you look at and you just think, well, you can't, you just can't drop him at the moment. And we've got a, a selection of six or seven players at the moment. And they're not necessarily the players you'd have picked out in August. Um, who, who you'd have to say you're picking your starting lineup for Sunday, and if I was picking it, I'd think, well, I, I can't, I can't take this guy out mm. um, because he's playing exceptionally well, and you know, while while he's playing well, he should hold the shirt. I'm a kind of believer in that as well. Um, so there's there's this this little cluster of of kind of of players, and, and not necessarily the players you'd expect who've really, really kind of hit some good form. Um, and that's that's really encouraging as well, and that not least because that means that the guys who they're kind of displacing at the moment are really going to have to raise their game to get back in. And you're even talking about players like Ozil and Walcott, who are all of a sudden not guaranteed first-team picks, and they're going to have to work their way back in. That is a, a pretty healthy situation for us to be in, it has to be said. Tim, we better leave it there. Thanks, uh, Thanks as always. My pleasure. Right, don't forget you can follow Tim on Twitter on his brand new Twitter handle. Yes, it's the same old stuff, but his name has changed. He's no longer little, no longer Dutch, and no longer a curator of the Victoria and Albert Museum. The new Twitter handle is at Stilberto, at Stilberto. So you can find him there, or you can read his column every Thursday on arsblog.com. Do check that out as well, if you haven't already. Now, looking ahead very quickly to the game against Aston Villa on Sunday, Team News is that a Alexis is a bit of a doubt with a hamstring strain. And I think this presents the manager with with a little bit of a decision to make, that if he's going to be tested on Saturday and if he's carrying some kind of hamstring strain that's making him doubtful for this weekend, you don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardise his participation in the North London Derby next week. You know, I don't want to hark back to one of the, not darker times of the season, but I think that leaving Alexis out of the starting lineup for the uh, North London derby for the Arsenal-Tottenham game was a big, big mistake. Even if there was some method to the manager's madness, I don't quite understand what it was. And it was a game that we drew 1-1 against a team who were playing shit and we should have beaten. So you don't want to be going to White Hart Lane without him next Sunday. This weekend, Villa, of course, not in great form and not the best opposition and the best team that we're going to play this season. But they have been boosted, of course, for this match by the transfer window signing of referee Anthony Taylor, who's going to take charge of this one. You might remember him from such previous encounters with Aston Villa as that one where we lost 3-1 and he sent off Koscielny and he was basically really, really shit all day. Do you remember? He was terrible. I know it's difficult to kind of separate that performance from any other performance that you might have seen from Anthony Taylor, but that day in particular opening day of the season and of course there was a reaction we all remember the reaction but the referee well he was terrible and I suspect he'll be terrible again because well that's what he does it's what he is he's a terrible terrible referee there's no point expecting him to be any different it's like walking into a booth which says walk in here and get punched in the face and then going well I can't believe I got punched in the face when I walked into that booth even though it clearly says on the door Walk in here and get punched in the face. You know you're going to get a shit refereeing performance from Anthony Taylor. And the bigger issue with him, besides the fact that he's really, really shit, the bigger issue is that he's a real favourite of Mike Riley's. 
he is refereeing. Apparently, I'm, I'm told this by people who know people who know referees, that he is refereeing in the way that Mike Riley wants games to be refereed. It's not as if anyone's sitting there going, that Anthony Taylor, he's, not, he's really not very good. Maybe we should demote him or perhaps get some better referees. Uh-uh. They like what he does for some weird reason. But then I suppose there are people in this world who like strange things. I don't think we need to go into the, the nuts and bolts or the being weed on and stuff of it all. But, you know, to each their own. It's just unfortunate that Mike Riley, in a metaphorical sense, likes to be urinated on by his referees. Now, there's an image to take you into the weekend, no? Uh, apart from that, we might have Gabrielle in the side. He's, uh, he's going to be assessed, but you'd have to think that he's going to go on the bench anyway. Uh, beyond that, nobody else is back. Welbeck nearly back. He should be back for next week. Oxlade-Chamberlain remains out. Will Sherrod, Arteta out. But you'd like to think there'll be some uh, some changes in the team because Orla will come back in. Coquelin will come back in. I think Bellerin will play. Uh, if Alexis doesn't play, then we've got Mesut Ozil, Theo Walcott, Thomas Rzitski. It's quite healthy. I think it could be one of those games where we can cope with the absence of Alexis, whereas previously in the season without him, we would have been in a much more difficult position than the difficult position we were in. It would have been worse. I know. Terrible. So, look, let's keep fingers crossed that we come through this game against Villa. Then we've got all next week to chill out, relax, and prepare ourselves for a trip to White Hart Lane so we can turn those cunts over. So, that's about that for this week. Uh, there will be an Arscast Extra on Monday. Of course, James is away still. He's uh, minus eight hours in, in California, so we'll uh, we'll have to work it out again. It'll probably be an afternoon Arscast Extra on Monday, so bear with us, but we will serve you up a steaming hot goblet of aural goodness. I said aural. Have yourselves a great weekend. Until the next Arscast, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Witching Hour here in Holy God FM and that was the 12-inch remix of Party Fears 2 by the Associates. Surely the greatest song ever written about phoning your brother up and then smashing another cup. Now regular listeners will know that we try and do our best to bring people together and to solve the crises they might be going through. If you've got a problem and if no one else can help don't call the A-team. They're really old now. Write me a letter. 
like Jose did. He writes, Dear Holy God FM, I'm having a very difficult time at the moment in work. There's this fella causing me problems. In fact, he's gone so far as to wage a campaign against me. I'm so sad. I know this fella is a bit stupid. His pants are too tight and he can barely speak his native tongue in the correct tense. But his hard words are making my life so, so hard. Do you think God has got any advice for me? Yours, Jose. P.S. Love the music. Keep it going. Well, Jose, I took a bit of time out of my day to talk specifically to God about you. And in his infinite wisdom, he saw fit to give me a message to pass on. He says... Go fuck yourself, you hypocritical little cunt. Sometimes God speaks to us in mysterious ways, but there's nothing mysterious about that. Because as the young priests say, Jose, you've just been pwned. Now time to get back on with the music. This one I remember taking a pill or two to in my time. Farley Jackmaster Funk. Oh, love can't turn around, but I can. Whee! A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.